Hi, this is Joe. And I'm Amy. And this is What Makes It Fun with Joe. And Amy. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to a new episode of What Makes It Fun with Joe and Amy. Uh, this episode, we are talking about, uh, we have Lenny Rips on. He is, um, he's a writer, but he, he specializes in He's done a lot of like sitcom writing and things like that. He's worked on uh, Star Wars, the uh, holiday special, um, which yeah, it's it's funny. I think I don't think we recorded the part where he was talking about it with about us. The Star Wars. Yeah, I think it was after the interview he started talking about Star Wars. Um, but he said that. Uh, I think he when he showed it to people, he just played it for like a minute and then he turned it off. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, I think he did. He definitely did say that. Uh, so Mr. Uh, Rips also worked on Full House. He was a uh, writer and uh, he was a writer for Full House. He worked on uh, Frank and Weenie, the, both the old screenplay short and the new movie. Uh, he worked on Bosom Buddies. Um, so he's worked on a, a bunch of really cool stuff, a bunch of sitcoms. Dick Van Dyke and Company, he wrote an episode. Sunny and Cher Show, he, he wrote a segment or an episode. Um, so much cool stuff. Uh, so he talks about a little bit about how to make, uh, what makes like sitcoms work. Um, um let's hold for, we're in LA everyone. Yeah. Uh, so Lenny talks a lot about how, how, what makes, you know, sitcoms funny, how to write believable characters, uh, just his journey through the industry and then advice on how, if you're interested in sitcom writing, how you could get into it. So really cool interview, super funny guy. Um, and after that, we're going to talk a little bit about sitcoms and characters and, of course, our couple of rounds of Certified Fun and Almost Fun. So enjoy this interview with Lenny Rips. Started. We have um, Lenny Rips. Uh, he's a writer for many years on many uh, different sitcoms and projects. Um, so to start off, uh, what, what, was, what was your – how did you break into the industry, into writing? Well, when I was a kid, I was a fat kid who stuttered. Mm -hmm. So I was able to kind of defend myself with words. So that, so, so that, that, that was my protection. Mm -hmm. And I went to, co to college and, and studied film history and journalism. Uh -huh. And I got out and there weren't any jobs. I was a social worker. But, but a friend of mine was the most aggressive person I ever met. And we were working on a bicycle training film for the Baltimore school board uh -huh. and Joan Rivers was, was coming to Baltimore uh -huh. and she literally talked her way backstage wow. and said I have a friend who's really funny would you read his jokes Whoa! and Joan said sure have him come to, 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 tomorrow night so she called me the next morning and said bring your jokes and I said but I've never written any jokes I had written newspaper columns uh -huh. and they were funny but not she was so short that whatever Right. So for the hell of it, I sat down and I wrote ten jokes, and I went backstage and she did. Joan did one on stage and I got big laughs. Oh wow! So she said, she said "Do you have any more?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I just forgot to bring them." <laughs> so I called in sick from the poor people the next day. From the social work? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wrote twenty more jokes and she did another one on stage and I got laughs. Wow! And I got paid seven fifty a joke. Wow. So for the next six months, every week I would write 50 jokes. And she would pick and choose. She'd buy one or two or three or none. Uh -huh. But I, I made myself sit down and write what I thought were 50 jokes. Uh -huh. 
And in the process of doing that, I kind of learned how to do it. And six months later, she was doing an article for TV Guide about comedy writers. Mm. And she was nice enough to mention me and say some very sweet things. And I spoke to her on the phone and I said, do you think I can really make it? And she said, absolutely. So I, the next day I went to my supervisor and says, I'm giving you two weeks notice. In two weeks, you will notice I've been gone for 10 days. <laughs> and I packed my car. I didn't know anybody. And I drove out to California. And she was on the road for three months. Oh, wow. So I would go to the comedy store and the improv, hang out every night, and write jokes on pieces of paper for the comics. And some for $5 or $10. Wow. And then she came back in town and got me some interviews. And I, and I started getting work. That's so cool. Wow, I wouldn't think someone like that big would be so, you know, helpful. Well, she's, well, for seven fifty a joke, what do you have to lose? <laughs> and and, and she was a wonderful mentor. There are lots and lots of comedy writers who got their start with Joan. Mm. She was one of the smartest people I've ever met. Phi Beta Kappa from college. Mm -hmm. And writing for her was great because it was a specific character. Mm. You know, it was yeah. great. Training writing for stand-ups is great training for comedy writers because you mm -hmm. learn voices. Yeah. So when you write a joke for Joan, it's different than a joke you write for Rodney, right? Or David Steinberg, or 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 whomever. Mm -hmm. So 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 really, my my start was just writing one-liners. Wow, that's crazy. And was that um, when when she told that joke in front of everyone and it got a big laugh? Was that like the real first time where you thought like, hey, I can make it in entertainment? Or did you try something as a kid? Or No, that was really the first time they give you the heroin for free to see if you like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was... I tried to be a performer and I was not a very good performer. Hmm. But I sold my material. Yeah. So I, I began to realize that everybody has their, their own skills. Hmm. And it was really fun... To hear those lifts. Yeah. To, to, to know that at least you were partially responsible for it. <laughs> and the thrill of, of anonymity. Yeah. Where the best jokes are the ones where no one thinks they're written. The best jokes are the ones where it sounds like the comedian is saying them. Mm. Not thinking about them and, and having structured them. And Joan and I would sit and structure jokes. I mean, she, she taught me about syntax and word order and mm. length of word. And where do you put the punchline and, and all this Kind of not, not very interesting technical stuff, but stuff that as a kid I, I didn't know any, anything about. I had a sense of humor, mm -hmm. right? But I didn't know how to put that into in, in any kind of format. Mm. So, were you surprised about all the rules that went into a joke, or did it make sense immediately to you? It, it made sense to me because I heard her say them. Mm -hmm. And in listening, you would say, Well, there are too many words. Uh. And you'd hear those words kind of get jumbled up. Or I put the punchline in the wrong place. And, and you, if you listen, you can hear it. You know, it, it's certainly a, a, a skill, but I don't think it's something that's not unlearnable. Mm. You know, I don't think anybody can teach it to be funny, but, but you, can, you can certainly teach technique mm. and structure. Okay. So, so someone who, who might not be funny naturally, they could just have really good material written for them. Well, I don't know that you could perform it well. Oh, okay. Because part of what you're buying from a comedian is their likability more than their jokes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've known comics with great jokes 
who were so unpleasant that nobody left. Yep. Oh, I've seen those too. You know, but 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 people like the greats, like Richard Pryor and Robin Williams. These guys, you just like them. So, so you go along. Yeah. Wow, that makes a lot of sense. I never <laughs> thought about that before. Like, a lot of the comedians I like, it's because I like them as a person. Sure. Yeah, yeah. they're relatable. And, yeah. and then the pressure isn't on them. Because they don't have to be funny every joke. Right. Because you like them anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And with television, it's also you want to have them in your house. Yeah, mm. that's true. You know, you, you want these people hanging around at 8.30 when, you, when you're in your underwear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Um, okay. Uh, oh. oh, I just wanted to ask you about Frank and Weenie. Like, how did you come up with that? Uh, well, I wrote the original short. Yeah. The, um, I was working at Disney, and I had a deal, an overall deal, to create television programming. Oh, cool. It's a great lesson in networking. My assistant was friends with someone else's assistant who knew a woman named Julie Hickson, who was Tim's producer. Okay. They were talking. Tim had this idea for Frank and Winnie and was looking for a writer. And I was the perfect one because I was on the deal, so I was free. <laughs> Tim didn't, didn't have to, to pay me to write the screenplay. It was, it was already part, part, part of my contract. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Oh, that's cool. So, so Tim, Tim, Tim and I met and had a couple meetings. And it was initially his idea, and, and I totally got it. You know, I mean, for whatever reason, it made sense to me. I understood Frankenstein. Uh-huh. I, was, I was a kid and a film student, and I loved all those... Classic horror films. Yeah. So I kind of knew what it would look like. And it was a movie about... All Tim's movies are about being outsiders. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the one thing. And I was a kid who was an outsider. Mm-hmm. So I saw that movie not about a... Not only about a dog from the dead, but a little boy who was an outsider. Mm-hmm. And Tim obviously was. You know, yeah. and, and, and certainly that, that's not a secret. <laughs> so we connected that way. I mean, we kind of understood... What the story was about, not not just only what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, that's so cool. Um, and, and 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 so I wrote X number of drafts, and Tim was was pretty happy with it. And I, I think what Tim wanted from me was also kind of a gentle sense of humor. Yeah. And, and and the the film is funny but not jokey. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, it, it does have. Sort of a sitcom feel, you know. It's it's a family and and, and their issues. Uh-huh. So how does how did how is it different writing for? Because um, you've worked on a lot of famous sitcoms like um, Full House, Full and House, and Buddies, and, 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 and yeah. Boys, and all that stuff. Yeah, how, how is it different? Just writing uh, jokes for stand-up comedians versus sitcoms. Like, how does it change? Well. Your- it, it, the question is, what do you want the sitcom to sound like? Mm-hmm. So Two and a Half Men sounds like jokes. It doesn't sound like dialogue. It doesn't sound like people talking. <laughs> right. and, and, and I'm not I'm not being judgmental about that. So when you go into that kind of show, you know you're really heavy on jokes. Okay. When you're doing a full house, it's a family show for a lot of kids. So, mm-hmm. so strong jokes that pop with hard punchlines are, are just not going to work. Hmm. And especially if you're writing for 
children. By and large, they're not going to be able to deliver those jokes. Yeah, so, 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 so how do you create funny situations where, where, where just where they are, what they're doing is funny enough that they don't have to do hard, she's so ugly, that, he's right. so fat, that. Yeah. Whereas in Bosom Buddies, I don't know if you guys I remember, remember yeah. that show, yeah. with Tom Hanks, there were a lot, we was a hip show, so there were a lot of reference jokes. Yeah. You know, we, we were doing a lot of con, contemporary culture jokes. Mm. Where Full House was kind of timeless. You, you, ne- you never really knew when, when it was. Mm. But Bosom Buddies was that day. Yeah. So we were able to do contemporary references. It was hipper. The guys would, would go back and forth with each, each other. And since they were sharper, the jokes popped f- f- faster. A good deal of the writing is just listening to how the performers sound. So John Stamos doesn't sound like um, Dave Coulier or Bob Saget. So you, you just have to write them all differently because they have different voices. Hmm. So you, I'm sorry, what you try to discover is what's funny about them. Yeah. Oh, okay. Not just what's the funny joke, but what's funny in the character. And since you're doing it every week, you, you want to keep coming back to the, 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 those things. If, if you're doing Big Bang Theory, you know the kind of jokes you're going to write about Sheldon. Yeah. Right. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. you could do a show about Sheldon's Thanksgiving or Sheldon buying a car, and you know what, you already know what it's going to sound like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so you're very much trying to be like authentic to what they would really say in that situation? Uh, authentic to what the character would really say. Mm. You know, I used to, to teach, and I, I mean, I, I still teach sitcom, and one of my rules is if two characters in a scene say the same joke, it's a badly written joke. Mm-hmm. You know, two, two people can't say the same joke. It can be about the same subject, mm-hmm. but it can't be written the same way. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I've never thought about that, how hard it would be to, because I think who is like Michelle, how old she was. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. Show. yeah, yeah. Was she like three or something yeah. when this first started? Yeah, I mean, she, she pretty much was raised on that Exactly. Show. Yeah. yeah, I was the first person to sell drugs to the Olsen Twins. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, Starting at four. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but if you hear the character Kimmy Gibbler yeah. in Full House, who was a little stand-up comic. Yeah. yeah. So she, she could do hard jokes. <laughs> Candace Cameron, who was really talented and really lovely, had different rhythms. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, the the middle, the middle daughter, was a little Don Rickles. <laughs> so you you could give her a lot sh- sharper jokes. Yeah. Hmm. And and was that also like the philosophy of it being a, like a, a family TV show that a lot of kids would watch? Is that there, was it always planned to have like a moral at the end, or did it just happen? Yeah. Already? No. That no. That was TGIF. And that, and, and that was the 80s. You always <laughs> had violence at the end. Hell yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I was once doing a table reading of, 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 of the first script where the actors all around rereading. And at the end, I hired a violinist to, to, <laughs> to, 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 come, to come in and play. There's always that point when you heard the violin. <laughs> so... so and, and some shows were, were written for those morals, and some you kind of sh- 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 were in a minute at the end because <laughs> no one expected them. Uh, oh, okay. 
So of all the projects that you worked on, do you have a favorite? Um, yeah, I was nominated for an Emmy for a show called Van Dyke and Company, which was a variety show with Dick Van Dyke. Oh, cool. And I got to work with Dick Van Dyke oh, for wow. a year. Oh, wow. That's so and Carl Reiner and Sid Caesar and Andy Kaufman. Wow. And That's amazing. Yeah. So, so these were really brilliant, wonderful people. And Van Dyke was like the, the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. You know, I was a young, dumb writer. He lost his keys. I drove him home. So, yeah. so I spent half an hour with Dick Van Dyke in the car. That's so cool. <laughs> and, he, and he thinks you're doing him a favor. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I spent a day... I'm old. I spent a day working with George Burns. Oh, I'm an extraordinary thing. That's so crazy. That's wow! How lucky. And, and and a brilliant editor. Burns was extraordinary. He went over line by line and said why this works, why this doesn't work, why you need to rearrange things. Wow, so I mean, you know, we we, so we 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 see these we saw these old guys, right. and, and don't realize that that they really are brilliant. You know, and he taught me about how to write a sketch for him. <laughs> for him specifically. <laughs> yeah, because, and then it, it, it was on a show called the Matt Davis Show. Mm-hmm. Matt Davis was a country and western singer and songwriter. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I, I was the youngest one on the staff. Mm-hmm. So they sent me to work with George Burns and there was this wonderful day. And he did the sketch, and I got huge laughs. Not because of me, because George Byrne could read a laundry list and get big laughs. But so it was kind of exciting. The next day, I'm in the hall at NBC with some friends, and there's a tug on my shirt, and it's George Burns. And he says, hey, kid, remember me? <laughs> so yeah, and he says, it was a good sketch. And, and he walked away. That's wow. so cool. So that's why, you, that's why you do it, for, for those experiences and... Lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about today? Is there any sitcom on TV today that you're like, these people are doing it right? Or like, this is something you should Well, do. there's a show I'm just starting to watch called Last Man Standing. Huh. Oh, mm-hmm. I FX, which is really good. I, 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 I really like Big Bang Theory. Um, it's hard not to love Modern Family. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And there's a show one now called Blackish, which is kind of interesting. Blackish, oh yeah, I saw that. I mean, it's not quite there yet, mm-hmm. but it's very smart, and it's for, for for me the standard is not only is it funny, but is it interesting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I I worked with a guy who once told me it doesn't always have to be funny; it always always has to be interesting. Mm-hmm. That that that's the key to writing a sitcom is interesting things. And funny people will make those interesting things funny. But the story somehow has to be compelling. Uh, and Blackish has some pretty good stories. Okay. So how do you, have you learned any tricks on how to make the sitcoms interesting? Are there any like uh, maxims or guidelines that you use? All writing is autobiography. Mm. That's my first rule. That, that you can't write anything down. Even a grocery list tells people what you're having for dinner. <laughs> yeah. So to me, you make it interesting by starting from something that's true that you know. You know, my students, I tell my students, people will t- tell you, write what you know. I said, well, you're 20 years old, you don't know anything. <laughs> but if you write what you feel, you'll always be correct. And that has nothing to do with age. Mm. So what I try to go in when I'm writing a story is first, what's it about? Not is it funny, 
But is this episode about greed or anger or competition or jealousy or love? So that's where I try to start. And then, and, and then I, I want to make it funny. But I don't start at, gee, it would be funny if. I started, this is a story that, that interests me. And then I try to, 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 to the best I can, steal from my own life. Hmm. Are there experiences and, and things that I can use so it's true? Right. It doesn't have to be real, but I think, I think it does have to be true. And why, why is it that there's so many, a lot of people say, and there's books on it, that truth is in the comedy. Yeah. Like, that's, that seems to be a, a very uh, true. <laughs> but, like, do you, do you know why that is? Do you have an, uh, an why? idea I'm sorry. Of, why? of why a lot of people say truth is in comedy? Why is truth so funny? Because it's the one thing that we all understand. So, yeah. so there are a few things. First of all, a good comedian says things that you thought about but never said yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or you were embarrassed to say because it was too outrageous. Oh. The, 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 the other, you know, is, is that, that you recognize in a comic something that she is saying that resonates. The, 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 there's a woman who I think is great called, called Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who I'm crazy about. Yeah. But her comedy is not just funny because it's outrageous. It's because it's true. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you listen to it, you really can feel, you understand what you should say. Mm-hmm. That, that is stuff that, that has happened to you or somebody else, or that you or somebody else has th- thought about, mm-hmm. or you were too afraid to say. Mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, I think that's why comedy comes from that place, be- because it's personal. The mm-hmm. comedy that doesn't touch you isn't very interesting, mm-hmm. except for Rodney Dangerfield, because <laughs> there, there are no rules. I, I, I was just... <laughs> Yesterday, I was watching a clip of Rodney Dangerfield on Johnny Carson from, from 1983. Uh-huh. And it was, it, 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 it was howlingly funny. But there's no truth in that. I mean, it, it, it's, just, it's just he's created this great character. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, so as long as he talks about that character, it works. I mean, I wrote for Rodney for a while. Oh, wow. You know, and if you get the... the Character, he's going to be great. Yeah, and if that, you know, his, he's still playing true to his character. Like right. Maybe that's yes. what the truth is. You know sure. that person. Sure. I mean, all of a sudden, Rodney's not going to do drugs about being a Don Juan. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be confusing for the whole Yeah, time. yeah. I, yeah and, You'd wait and, for the twist the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that, yeah that, and then I woke right. up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Uh, let's see. Uh, is there? So you're saying that Blackish was really close to being good? No, I. I I enjoy it, and I can see how it's going to get much, much better. Oh, okay. Because I think it has really good fundamentals. Mm. They're interesting characters, interesting storytelling, good jokes. T- TV series need a while to, to kind of find themselves. Mm. You know, I mean, every show I've written one for for the first season, you're you're in discovery. Yeah. You're not only discovering yourself, but you're discovering what your actors can do. Yeah. You're discovering. Which two are funniest in, in conversation? Mm. Who, who, who belongs in the same scene? Who doesn't belong in that scene? Mm. And that's nothing that you could plan on. Mm. You know, I mean, we, and that just takes a, a, a while. The, the, the first scene, the, the first season, you're just trying to see what works and what doesn't work. Uh, how long did that take for Full House to really figure out everyone's character? 
Um, that was not very difficult. <laughs> it, it, that five didn't minutes. take very five long. Five, eight. No, no, <laughs> only because it was not a show that was really into the into psychological things, and, and it was for kids. So while everything we did try to be true, it didn't go very deep. Yeah. In 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 a show that's on for a while, you, you that's about things you you have the luxury of of getting more and more finite about the details of of, of your character. You know a lot more about George in season six in Seinfeld than you do in season one. Yeah. That's because after all of those scripts, you start going into that minutia. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, it's I like about um, one of my favorite sitcoms is Married with Children. Oh, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and you look at like season five, there's so many inside jokes. That's right. And I think if you started watching season five, <laughs> you'd miss a lot of the references. And, and, and the question is at what point does the show just become about itself? Yeah. yeah. At, at what point that is one too long and they're just jokes about jokes about jokes about f- what, whatever show it is. Right. So it becomes so tight and insular. That yeah. you, I think, sometimes lose connections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think The Simpsons is very much in that category right now. Because they do a lot of things that, if you were just watching it, you're like, why is his dad doing this? And why is the yeah. daughter doing this? It makes no sense. But it makes sense if you've been watching them for 20 years. Yeah, I mean, you know, or you have the luxury of a family guy. Yeah. Where the physical reality doesn't have to make sense. Oh, oh, okay. oh, 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 only the characters. So um, uh, uh, the characters can, can lose their arms and legs, or, cu- or cu- cu- cut off their heads, or die, or do anything, yeah. and be back ten minutes later. Yeah. yeah, you know you don't you don't have to to worry about that. That being said, the characters are really consistent. Yeah. Quagmire is always going to be the these same way. <laughs> Joe is always going to going to be these same way. Um. So who's your who's your favorite? I know it's such a hard question, but who's your favorite person to work with? Like I imagine Tom Hanks is like a ball of talent. Ha- Hanks was just wonderful. Yeah, just really nice and smart and funny. Mm-hmm. I spent a season. I created Steve Harvey's first sitcom with a couple of people, uh-huh. and Steve Harvey was terrific to work with. A really smart, yeah, very funny guy. Dick Van Dyke was. A giant. I mean, I don't know how you could work with anybody better than Dick Van Dyke. And and all of these people were really decent people. It's so cool. Yeah, that's a, that's what it kind of seems like. It's like the more you get into like the the higher echelon of your of your discipline of all the people we've interviewed, like wrestlers, game designers, stuff like that. Yeah. When you start getting to that higher. Uh, Echelon of, of the discipline, like you, it's just really, really cool collaborative people. Yeah. Like oh, on the other hand, you have a guy like Bill Cosby, uh-huh. who a horrible, horrible person, who the audience doesn't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, up until these revelations, mm-hmm. everyone I know who knew Bill Cosby was not surprised. Wow. Had, but the audiences had no idea. No. I mean, he was a b- beloved guy. Yeah. But nobody liked to work for him. Yeah, that's so crazy. I mean, uh, so you can fool people. Yeah. I, I mean, I. I mean, how many people watch wrestling and confuse the characters with the real people? All the time, right? <laughs> Which is your job. Yeah. Right, but but I have no idea what Hulk Hogan is really like or, or, or anything. 
Yeah. He's not always just tearing off his shirt and screaming. <laughs> I don't... Yeah. What? No, no, but, but I'm saying, but, but you know, it, it's, it's the exact same thing. I mean, I, I look at wrestling like sitcom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except it's funny because back in the day, they used to pass off as real rather yeah, yeah, than yeah. they're all actors. So it's interesting because uh, there's a lot of... You have to really hate the guy when you're out in public. If, you, yeah. if people see you, you have to like fight but, him. <laughs> but, 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 but then you have guys like Dwayne Johnson yeah, who's really able to make that transition. Oh, for sure. He's, he's just talented all around. Yeah, I saw yeah. him on Saturday Night Live um, a month ago as a host mm-hmm. and he was terrific. I mean, really down. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got great timing on everything. Um, so, do you have any uh, advice for like your students, for example, someone who wants to get their start in writing or sitcom writing or things like that? Do you have any advice? Somebody told me that the best advice is put your ass in the chair. That at the end of the day, it's just writing. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that Hollywood is full of brilliantly talented people who don't get recognized. We're, we're a machine that eats its young. So if someone's good, we're not going to pass them by. So I, I, I don't think the world is full of young writers in, in, in Garrett's writing jokes and coughing with consumption. You, you, you know, I, I think if you come up to Hollywood and you work hard mm. and network. You know, if you're in film school, everybody there could be somebody who, who, who could hire you. Right. My, my, my advice is get a job as a PA. Mm. You know, the best piece of advice I can give you is get the sandwich order right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have your script and have it good. And don't tell everybody you're working for that you, you, you want them to read it the first day. But make sure when the producer says no tomatoes, there are no tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and after a while, the producer will like you. And then you show what you have. You slip and it in with the sandwich. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, that's, but also, there's, there's such an opportunity now with all the reality shows and all the production that you may, maybe you're a comedy writer, but if you get a PA job on the Real Housewives of Warsaw, you know, <laughs> take the job. Yeah. You know, you never know who you're going to meet. You, you, you never know who you're going to hang out with. But, but for young people, I think it's a golden age. When I, when, when I got started, there were three networks. That was it. Mm. Yeah. Jeez. Now, there are thousands of opportunities. Yeah. So you guys only have to be persistent. And, 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 you, and you should read the, the trades and, and see which pilots are being made in production companies. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the goods, it's, it's all a waste of time. Um, do you have any? Do you have a website or a, uh, or anything coming out or Twitter or Facebook? No, or I don't. No, <laughs> no I, uh, I, 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 I'm trying to, to get into the 18th century <laughs> because you have to have all of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah certainly, just... if you get you hear old guys like me fighting technology, <laughs> but the reality is it's here and you've got to learn it and embrace it. Mm. That not to use every tool. Is like building a house and saying, "Okay, you can do everything but the saw and the hammer." Yeah. If, if, if you should have every website and every Twitter, you should do all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and also it's an opportunity to make product and put it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in in the old days, 
before YouTube and all that, how did you get anybody to see your stuff? Now you can throw it on YouTube. Yeah. And, 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 and now you can make a movie on a phone. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Pretty much. Yeah. So, so there, I think the danger of that is to think you know what you're doing because you can do it. So kids come yeah. to film school and they've done 20 YouTube movies. Yeah. And they say, well, now we know how to make movies. Yeah. Well, they don't. Yeah. Or, 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 or some of them do. Mm-hmm. But, but that's what people should be doing. You know, do your own work. Every once in a while, something hits. What what you try to share as a teacher, right, is passion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, more than anything else, you 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 want your students to be fervent, and you don't want to tell them what to do. You want to guide them into doing what they want to do. Hmm. And they all think they have something to say. <laughs> well, that's what all artists think. Yeah. You know, and whether or not they they, they, they do. The audience will tell you. So I I, I guess my guide is, how can I help you say best what you want to say? So that's what I try to teach, is is how can I put into words your ideas in more effective ways? Mm. You know, know, okay, you want to write a show about anger, how do you structure that? Mm. What are some of the not very sexy technical things that you need to know to write a script? Mm. How to have scenes end? Mm-hmm. How to accents? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, not very exciting stuff, but stuff that makes everything better. Right. You, you know these these little pieces of minutia that that add up to a, a good script or a good story. Right. And where is it that you teach again? At Columbia College Hollywood. Awesome. That for Joe teaches. Yeah. No. <laughs> Oh, she taught uh, in my class. She taught improv to the students. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm an improviser. Uh, I well, man, so so much good stuff on here on <laughs> the resume. Uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Lane. Sure. Me to interview you. And uh, uh, any any last words of wisdom or anything for future potential writers? Write really, really hard. And if you're better than me, don't try to work un- uh, until I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good word to go out on. Thanks. Thanks, Lenny. Thank you. All right, that's good. Cool. Um, so, super cool guy. I'm glad. I'm so glad we had him on. Uh, what did What did you think of Lenny? By the way, like, I love Lenny. He was really funny and sweet, and I loved his stories about Joan Rivers. Yeah, and apparently she gave a lot of people their starts mm-hmm. in the industry, and that's something you really don't hear about uh, at all. So. Um, I thought that was really cool. Super, she seems like super, such a cool person to do that, especially for up and comers who are trying to just, you know, get their start in the industry. So that was really cool. Um, uh, all right. So now we want to talk a little bit about like characters, especially in sitcoms and things like that. And, uh, Amy, you have a book called The Eight Characters of Comedy. Yes, by Scott Sedita. Um, this is a book given to me by a friend and, a lot of sitcoms follow this formula. There's there's eight characters, at least, that Scott has sussed out that are in eight, most sitcoms. Mm-hmm. And they range from people like the lovable loser to the neurotic, mm-hmm. the bitch or bastard, um, the, the one in their own world. And most sitcoms especially, like you look at Friends, they each fall into these roles. Each of the friends fall into one of these roles. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost like a formulaic, proven version. Like if you have this character versus this character, that character in the same scene with that character... It 
it just naturally is going to be funny because their wants are clear mm-hmm. and they're usually opposite of each other or everyone has an opinion on the world around them, mm-hmm. which is also really important in improv, <laughs> which will be in every episode. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> You'll soon realize that improv rules everything. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Your life is improv. You just don't know it yet. Um, that's cool. So what are, what are some takeaways from the book? I mean, you've finished the book? Or? Yeah, I read the, the whole book a little while ago, and it, I've actually been using it to help me write in the comics that I write with my sister. Um, so the whole idea behind it is, like, you base your story, and it tells you which characters you can lead your story with. Like, a lot of the time, mm-hmm. the lovable loser is the focus. Like, if you look at the Honeymooners, Jackie Gleason's character is a lovable loser, or um, everybody loves Raymond. Raymond is this lovable loser type. which their whole goal is they have one thing that they keep going for like Jackie Gleason's was to get rich or um, Lucille Ball she used to get famous you always Mm -hmm. want to be on Ricky's show and every time they fail and after they fail though they have that moment of like man I suck and then they go but this idea will work and like (laughs) go after it again and you laugh (laughs) and then then they're usually offset by a character that's called um, the logical smart one and so this is a character that's like, you know, puts up with their stuff, but points out not in a mean way, but just like, hey, this is why this won't work, because they speak for the audience. This is the straight man mm-hmm. in improv comedy or in just any comedy. The logical smart one is usually the straight man. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other characters are almost like dressing for those two characters. Right. Um, you can't have shows that are like the neurotic as one of the characters. Mm-hmm. And um, that's like. You know, George Costanza's a neurotic, or if you watched Frasier, like Frasier and his brother Niles are both neurotics. Uh And you can have shows around each of the characters that just somehow readily with. Anyway, this episode's not about this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The book is called The Eight Characters of Comedy, if anyone's interested, by Scott Said. Yeah, it's a guide to sitcom acting and writing. Okay. Get up at your local bookstore. It's funny because, like, I was just thinking, Martin Lawrence, his character in Martin was. Sympathetic, but also neurotic. Yes, you can have mixtures. Yeah, it's it's so funny because I loved. um, This isn't my certified fun yet, but (laughs) we're getting there, people. We're getting there. Please stay on the edge of your seats. Um, The it's I loved when he almost got something. How he got so hyper about it, like like he just had it already, and he just either his ego went out of control or his reactions out of control, but. He just heightened everything to such a crazy, energetic level. It didn't matter what the episode was about. He was always very, like, his reaction to everything made it funny. It's so funny. Um, uh, All right. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit. I I love that because also uh, um, Lenny Rips talks about your character has to be likable. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't have a character that people will hate and then... uh, And then have them be the main character because people don't... Then he said that he was talking about how stand-up comedians they have to be likable first yeah they're selling themselves that's what people are paying for them yeah that's so interesting because like i love adam carolla yeah like a lot and but he's not really likable i feel like you know despite what lenny rip says i remember being in a creative writing class and us finding out just the opposite you can have a character that's unlikable Mm -hmm. if their situation or their circumstances are interesting Right. Yeah. I feel like there's some characters on TV that you're just like, I don't like anybody. <laughs> I'll think of it later and be like, oh, yeah, I hate everyone, but I still want to know. I think I think it's maybe it's, it might not be so much likability, but kind of... Um, Interest? 
uh, sympathetic in a way mm-hmm. where like, like we were talking about before and I don't know if we recorded it or we actually released it, but Oh, it was the Bob Ryan one uh-huh. uh, where we talked about characters being too strong and you don't, you don't feel any tension because Superman's not going to die, you know? Yeah. So I think if it's a character that doesn't really, it's when your character's like crazy, 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 crazy. And then what normally happens is they go, Oh my God, you're right. I'm being crazy. I'm so sorry. I'll stop. Da, 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 da. Hit. They come back with a crazy Mm because that makes it funnier. Just like the, um, the lovable loser. Yeah. How they go like, I'm going to do this crazy thing. Oh man, this thing failed. I'm a loser, but I'll win this time. It's the same thing. Hit, hit, back off hit. Yeah. I think, but the, I think that the character has to have an element of that, of that hit, hit, back mm-hmm. off hit, because even, uh, I don't forget his name from All in the Family, uh, his main, the main uh, character, and he was super racist. Oh. It, this came out like in the 70s, yeah. but it was okay to be racist at that time, and he was such a bigot and such a racist, but he was funny because he was very human, like... There'd be an episode where where black people would move in next to him, and then he was like, "Oh, he was like totally bummed out." And that was the funny part. Like you didn't root for him, but you could see what he was going through. Like he had emotions, and he had he had insecurities and things like. So I think that's what makes a person uh, or a character is interesting and funny is that you see the human side of them. Relatable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, all right, so now let's start talking about more sitcoms uh, with this week's edition of Certified Fun. This is Certified Fun. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you can't even hear that yeah. <laughs> I know, I should raise it up. Um, all right, so Certified Fun for sitcoms, uh, for me, this uh, month uh, is, I was kind of, I was tied between Married with Children and uh, Strangers with Candy. Strangers with that. Candy. I know, I love Strangers with Candy so much. Um, a quick thing about, uh, <laughs> a quick thing about uh, Married with Children is that it's what I was talking about. Like, Al Bunny is so sympathetic because he's always hungry. He's never appreciated. Um, he's poor. He has kids that don't love him, a wife that doesn't love him, a job that he hates. There's so much to feel bad for him about. And I think that's part of the reason why I love it. Um, he hates everything about his life. And I remember the writers saying that what they wanted was that they wanted you to know no matter how bad your day was, Al Bundy had a worse day than you. He, by the way, uh-huh. is a lovable loser. Okay. That's his profile type. Classic lovable loser. Even though, <laughs> even though he's like misogynistic and kind of an asshole... It's all those other things save his character, I believe. I think they have a whole chapter about him, too. Or really? something in here where, like, what exactly is his desire? <laughs> mm. Well, he wants money and, like, a girls and stuff like that. But he never cheats on his wife. He's had opportunities, but he never does. Mm. So it's very interesting. Um, and then, but my certified fun is Strangers with Candy. It's such an offbeat um, comedy. And have you seen Strangers with Candy? No. Amy? Okay. Uh, it's it's so weird because it's about... The premise is uh, a... <laughs> Sorry, he's making noise. Go on. The premise... is <laughs> a cat being... There's cats making noise on the place. Yeah. Welcome to my apartment. <laughs> um, so the premise is uh, she's a 42, I think, year old um, high school freshman. She dropped out of school when she was a freshman age, like 15 or something. And then she lived on the streets and she did drugs and she was like a prostitute. And then she came back at 42 years old to finish getting her degree. But she has all the street knowledge with her. 
<laughs> That's a sightseeing tour bus that went by here. They stop in front of my apartment. Like, they'll just wait at a light in front of my apartment. I can wave to people. It's insane <laughs> for me to, like, be in a towel here. <laughs> you should put, like, a mask of Tom Cruise or something on. <laughs> right, so they think it's famous. Yeah. Oh, God, Tom Cruise. He lives in an apartment. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so uh, so that, the premise is she's a 42-year-old high school freshman that wants to finish her degree. And she's like a junkie, an ex-junkie, and all this stuff. And she faces like all the challenges of a high school student. But the funny thing is that you know uh, Stephen Colbert, um, Paul Danello, uh, Amy Sedaris, their their style is so unique that they bend the rules of the world to serve the joke. And it's such an interesting way to do something because they there's there's an episode where uh, Jerry, the main character, that was her name, she was trying to lose weight. And every room she walked into, people were, like, frying stuff. Like, the teacher was frying, like, zucchini and stuff. And it didn't make... It doesn't make any sense. But the fact that the whole world is in on the joke in order to kind of... Um, to heighten the joke. And they act like it's totally normal. Like, this is the way the world is. And it's it makes you think a lot of, like, oh, does the character just see the world more? Because she's trying to lose weight. Everything is food to her. Or is everyone doing it? Um, on purpose but they don't know but either way it just serves like it doesn't have to make sense it just serves the joke so well that the entire world always almost always turns against her just to serve the joke of whatever's happening so if she's trying to be accepted everything's a popularity contest uh, every, every room she walks into is about that if it's about like race or whatever you know, everyone is racist or every everyone turns racist and the school plays are about race and like everything turns to serve the joke and I think it's such a funny way instead of seeing the characters react to things the world reacts to things uh and i think that's such a clever way of doing it and i wish it could have gone on for more than three seasons uh really funny and i highly 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 recommend checking out strangers with candy so my certified fun is rested development which came out in 2003 um and that's i i think most people have seen it but it's about like michael bluth who's uh, the son and take over the family affairs after his father is imprisoned um and he has to deal with this dysfunctional family and it follows a lot of the rules of the eight characters of comedy jason bateman bateman jason bateman, jason bateman is the logical smart one um i think Portia de Rossi is maybe the materialistic one or the bitch or the bastard or actually Will is kind of the dumb one, kind of the bitch, the bastard. Um, but there, it follows a lot of those rules generally pretty well. And then the, the, the comedy itself, the sitcom is just so smart. It takes a lot of, it does a lot of callbacks that we were talking about. Like it rewards people who pay attention. The wording is very intelligent and the, the acting is just stellar too. Like everyone, even though like Will Arnett is playing a completely fictitious over the top character, like you believe him as this self-centered asshole that's like taking over his family and everything is just like, no no word that is spoken by any of the characters is a throwaway. It's just mm-hmm. to get to the next beat. Every word is important. And I think that's just incredibly original and incredibly uh, intelligent. Mm-hmm. You just didn't, and it is why the series was so popular and got brought back again, although I, I, I haven't seen the, the Netflix version of the, the revamp. Uh-huh. I heard it wasn't as good. But the original one is brilliant and funny and uh-huh. poignant and awesome. Is is the main character like 
is are they relatable like the lovable loser or what makes them in character so well have you never seen Arrested Development no. get out <laughs> <laughs> this is it the last episode of what makes it fun um, so so Michael Bluth or J- played by Jason Bateman mm-hmm. is the main character and Jason Bateman is he's more like the logical smart one than he is the lovable loser because he's the one who's going through I guess maybe he's a combination actually because mm. he's going through the trying to put this business uh, in order mm. his dad has been arrested his family is always trying to get money mm. every character and every character outside of Jason is like very self-centered and like just you know he wouldn't be in the same room as these people if he wasn't related to them uh. But so everyone has their own goals and Jason or Michael Bluth and the thing is just trying desperately to like keep his family afloat. Mm. So you want to see him do it because you just want to see him end up in these situations, these awkward, weird situations. Um, and like watch him try and get, uh-huh. you should really watch it. It's really smart. Everything to what characters are named to the way they phrase things, mm. you know, everything just is, is beautifully done. Okay. I'll watch that. And then you watch Junior's. Okay. We'll have a movie night. Okay. Uh, all right. And now for the uh, opposite end of the spectrum, unfortunately. This is fun. All right. So, almost fun. Um, this one was a little hard to figure out because usually if I don't like a sitcom, I just stop watching it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's especially heartbreaking because it started off as such a funny series. Such a funny series. And it just... And it ended up being just, I don't know what it is. And as soon as I tell you the title, you're going to understand what I say, uh, which is it's The Simpsons. The Simpsons was so, so extremely well done, so funny, so many great characters. Uh, I'm amazed at the number of characters in The Simpsons. There's so many characters, in it, and they're all unique, and they're all funny, and they all have their own voice, and they all... Which is Hank Azaria. <laughs> yeah, they're all, they're all Hank Azaria. Um, but, uh, but if I've, I haven't seen Simpsons in the last, like, four-ish years, I think I've seen, like, two or three episodes, and when you take that big a break, you kind of see where they're really at with new eyes, and none of what any of the characters do makes sense at all. Like, they're just saying things that I think they think the Simpson characters would say without thinking of, would somebody say this in the real world in this situation? Is this relatable? And it's totally not relatable. There's The situations aren't realistic, but you can give that a pass. But the reactions to the situations, it, it's like they're always going for a cheap joke, and it's it feels like they're always going for an inside joke as well. And if you're just watching it as a new person or you haven't seen it in a long time, it's completely lost on you. Because I think the writers kind of, I think Lenny Rips said something about that, how you start making jokes of jokes. Yeah. And it, but I think because The Simpsons have gone on for like 20 plus years, that's gone on to an extreme level. So if you haven't seen it in like six years or so, it's, it's like, it's an, it doesn't make sense at all. It's just so turned in on itself at this point that nothing any of the characters do is funny. And it's kind of sad because this was one of the funniest shows like ever at one point. So you're not at all interested in seeing what happens when Marge and Homer get a separate. <laughs> don't That's supposed to happen in the next season. <laughs> That's supposed to, but I I don't care anymore. <laughs> like I saw, I think Homerland or whatever. It was like parody of Homeland. And it was so horrible. Mm. There was, and they just, and the the worst part is, like, there's nothing worse than 
someone trying to be funny and then not be, then not actually being funny because that's you can tell someone's trying to make a joke. That's what The Simpsons is right now. It's them trying to say things that are funny, but they're not funny because they're not. There's no truth in them. There's no there's no relatability in them. There's no build up. They're just trying to say funny things, and like they joke about Homer being fat and whatever. And it's like okay, like it's just they've just lost that kind of that engagement. Really, it's just all just throwing stuff out there and it's it's kind of sad to see at this point so my almost fun is two and a half men <laughs> and maybe this is just like it also came out in 2003 and that's also my certified fun got <laughs> <laughs> out the last episode <laughs> um, and I think I wonder if this is a sitcom that's just like for older people and I don't, I don't know because like I know there are plenty of people who would argue me on how good Two and a Half Men are mm-hmm. and like Joe after I see something that I'm not interested in I don't watch it as much anymore mm-hmm. and the almost part of Two and a Half Men being almost fun is that it follows a lot of rule, rules of Scott Sedita's the eight characters of comedy Mm -hmm. Um, because Charlie is is a womanizer which is one of the characters and then I think uh, I think the other one Alan or I think it's Alan yeah John Cryer yeah, John Cryer's yeah. character is, I believe he's the, the straight man, the logical smart one, maybe a little, a little neurotic. neurotic yeah. yeah. So he's got to, like, they follow the right uh, justifications, but I think it's what we, what you were talking about. It's not believable. Mm. You can't relate to these characters. And, you know, honestly, like, maybe it's just the style of acting. Arrested Development is almost like one of those, like, found footage, like a camera, like, mm. sort of following these people around. Nothing looks staged like it is mm-hmm. and of course this is like a multi-cam they're two and a half minutes so it's just it doesn't read as believable it doesn't read as funny the characters aren't interesting there's as far as i've seen and granted you know as far as i've seen mm-hmm. there's not that much redeemable about charlie he's not interesting and like the same with john cryer's character i'm like i don't know why you put up with this guy Right. Why not just leave? There's not enough of a connection between the two characters to believably be like, oh, of course you'd live with this guy. Like, just leave. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of it. Uh, I've, I've never really thought about it that much, but a lot of the sec- success might be because it's Charlie Sheen in it. He's such a train wreck, or he was in the show. I think that might be part of it, and and John Cryer. They're both they're both well known like movie guys. So mm-hmm. having them in a sitcom, it's I think it's. It's not the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. It's okay, but I think it gets a lot more credit than it deserves. I think a lot of the way that comedy is headed right now, especially sitcom comedy, is in the direction of, like, Arrested Development, Parks and Rec, Modern Family, like, where things are done. Almost nothing, I think. No, that's an exaggeration. I don't watch as much TV. But a lot of things don't do the multicam as much anymore. Right. And a lot of things are more more like the found footage, like The Office was, or even, what's on it? Grace and Frankie is on Netflix right now, which has got a lot of characters of sitcom comedy um, and it's also pretty well done and interesting and maybe just the quality has gone up too in production yeah I think also that the because you could do multicam that's very authentic like I it holds up so well I love Lucy oh, yeah. like I watch that to this day mm-hmm. and it's so funny and relatable every time I fight with my girlfriend <laughs> I, I, I relate to Desi Arnaz um, it's so well done and it's so realistic and the characters are so well defined and interesting and that's a multicam and I think 
multicam has been around so long that it just turned into this formula mm-hmm. this formula that just shits out <laughs> the same thing over and over yeah. again and i think uh two and a half men is one of those things which like okay three cams one guy one uh, so i think it's just one of those it's just not very interesting but i think the part where it's almost fun is that it could be interesting because mm-hmm. the premise is relatively new and i think the the of like this rich guy who has taken his brother and their son yeah and he's it's ruining his lifestyle of of, of having been rich and having women and he's kind of a you know a player but it's just it just doesn't live up to it especially with like john crier and and uh, charlie sheen but, mm-hmm. but anyway that's unfortunate uh all right guys uh so that is our episode for this month uh thank you so much for joining us thanks again to lenny rips who was amazing uh i loved bosom buddies uh, <laughs> um and then as always you can find amelia clover at you can find my website ameliaclover.com or on any social media amelia clover vo and you can find us at what makes it fun.com uh, we have instagram and twitter and all that good stuff uh and this is what makes it fun? <laughs> Have fun, guys. <laughs> okay, uh, 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 that's good. I like that. Okay, thanks. Have fun.